Hello and welcome to another edition of Flashpoint. I'm your host, Ryan Mills. Today I'm joined by Brigham McCown, Chairman of the Alliance for Innovation and Infrastructure, an independent national educational organization dedicated to identifying our nation's infrastructure needs, creating awareness of those needs, and developing public-private partnerships to address those issues. Brigham, thanks for joining me. Absolutely. My pleasure. Brigham, prior to your current work, you worked on transportation issues in the Bush administration. Can you talk a bit about your experience there and tell our listeners about your background? Sure, absolutely. Well, uh, I served uh, in the Bush administration for almost five years as a senior executive at the United States Department of Transportation, U.S. DOT. Uh, We all know the the DOT does highways and uh, the FAA on the aviation side, but a small agency at the Department of Transportation known as PHMSA, the Pipeline and Hazardous Materials Safety Administration, is responsible for the safe and secure movement of all of the energy that is transported on a daily basis. And that includes uh, oversight of the nation's 2.6 million miles of pipeline and the 1.5 to 2 million daily shipments of hazmat throughout the United States by air, rail, land, and sea. Thanks for that background. AFPM recently released a report on the fuel and petrochemical supply chains. Uh, This report examines the current state of midstream energy infrastructure. What is your assessment of the current state of U.S. energy infrastructure, in particular oil, natural gas, liquid, and refined product pipelines? Yeah, that's that's a great question. And I... uh, uh, I note in the introduction section of the AFPM report that you all talk about an energy renaissance. And, you know, that's a term I began using back, golly, about 2009 when I discussed that we were on the edge of an energy renaissance. And I think that few of us could really understand back then what that would mean for the U.S. today. So when you look at pipelines, for example, uh, they first began as early as the late 1830s. and. To some extent, they have been a preferred choice of transporting large volumes of crude, gases, refined products, and chemicals for well over a century. Former Secretary of Transportation Norm Mineta, a Democrat, by the way, in the Bush administration, with whom I had the pleasure of serving, said that pipelines are like arteries, and the products they transport are are really the lifeblood of our economy. And I think Secretary Mineta was right. And I think it's also true that pipelines are safe, economical, and in many respects uh, have a low-carbon footprint. I mentioned earlier that we have 2.6 million miles of line in the U.S., and while the vast majority of that is devoted to natural gas transportation, we have to understand how important these lines are. And if you look across all portions of U.S. infrastructure, from roads to bridges to the electric grid, Uh, We've been really strong for a long time in this area, enabling us to keep economically competitive. But some of these things are starting to show age. And when you look at the pipeline infrastructure, though, the industry has been pouring money, literally, into this system to update, to modernize, and in some cases replace entire systems with newer, more robust pipe. And as the former safety chief that oversaw pipelines, I'm happy to say that, that pipelines are up to the task, and that as we move forward, they are going to continue to be relied upon for decades to come. The report also examines production forecasts for oil and natural gas liquids. Given increased production, increased demand for exports of crude oil, refined products, and petrochemicals, 
and the current state of energy infrastructure in the U.S. midstream sector, is the U.S. midstream sector up to the challenge? Put simply, can the midstream sector handle the U.S. energy renaissance? I think the midstream section of the industry is up to the challenge. And it's a, diff it's a different challenge, though. And, you know, I think what is, what is fundamentally different about this time around is that pipelines and all energy transportation has been politicized like never before. And that's something that we haven't had to deal with in the past. Uh, typically, pipelines were out of sight, out of mind. They quietly went about their business each and every day and weren't out of the news. We're, we're not in the news. And uh, a couple things that are different. One, we're producing energy from new locations. Pipelines are like energy highways. So that means that we need new roads or new pipelines in areas like the Bakken or the Permian where we're producing more now, today, and, and in the future. And so that requires new infrastructure. The difficulty this time around, though, has been that it takes longer and longer to obtain the permits. And permits are opposed, allegedly on safety grounds, but really on grounds of political measures. For example, if you look at the Keystone Pipeline or the Dakota Access Pipeline, uh, these lines were held up because of concerns over the continued use of fossil fuel. And I think that's a shame, and I think that's going to continue. We ought to be having that kind of dialogue, but that dialogue doesn't belong in holding a pipeline project delayed or hostage for years through endless reviews. And I am concerned that opponents of fossil fuels will keep trying to delay pipeline projects as we move forward. Now you have a long history in the policy arena and recently served as part of the presidential transition team with a focus on energy transportation. What are some of the most important policy issues that can be addressed to ensure the growth of our energy infrastructure is sufficient to meet the needs of our nation? Yeah, that, that's another great question, and I'm, and I'm happy to say that uh, that's an issue that not only the, the current administration has been looking at, but I had the pleasure of serving as a senior advisor for Secretary Chow, the current Secretary of Transportation, for her first 90 days in office to help get her set up with her team. This is an issue they understand very well. And, you know, I'd like to say that in order for our energy infrastructure to move forward and to make sure it is sufficient, we have to ensure a stable regulatory environment. And what, what do I mean by that? Well, uncertainty brings economic risk, whereas stability lowers risk. And it lowers that risk not only for consumers, but also for producers, regulated entities, and investors also. And when you introduce uncertainty into the system, that increases risk. And risk can delay or cause projects even to be canceled. Companies have to know what the rules are, whether it's from the economic side or whether it's from the safety regulatory side. And they have to know that things aren't going to change or be manipulated for political convenience. And unfortunately, I think we saw some of that during the last administration, again, with the Dakota Access Pipeline and TransCanada's Keystone XL Pipeline. And that's not just, I think, Brigham's viewpoint. It's pretty much an accepted fact by experts on both sides of the issue. You have a great level of experience with a variety of types of, in, of transportation. 
The AFPM Fuel and Petrochemical Supply Chains Report highlights the nexus between different transportation infrastructure. Can you discuss the importance of other transportation modes and how important an integrated transportation system is? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, different types or modes, as we call them, of transportation are akin to different tools in your toolbox. You know, I like to use a hammer, but it's not the only tool in the toolbox. You need different tools, just like you need different transportation options, depending on what you're trying to do. Pipelines are great for long-distance movement of energy products, but some places you don't have pipelines, and in some places pipelines aren't the most efficient way to do things. So, for example, truck. Uh, when you look at uh, road transportation, over 13 million barrels of, of fuels, gasoline and diesel, heating oil, uh, are moved throughout the country each year. That's, that's about 200 billion gallons. Pipelines bring our gasoline close to us, but then a truck has to go to the facility, load up in order to hit each of the gas stations. We need trucks, and virtually every gallon uh, of fuel is moved to the consumer by tank truck. You look at waterways. On average, uh, over 18 million barrels per day of crude oil, refined products and NGLs move through the U.S. system of ports and waterways. A lot of these waterways are under the oversight of the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. We have dams, navigable waterways, very important and crucial for what we do. When you look at Florida, for example, pipelines only serve the northern parts of Florida. The rest of Florida is served by barge and waterway traffic. Rail is also very important, and we have over 140,000 miles of railway track throughout the country. When it comes to moving ethanol, rail is the preferred transportation choice. And you kind of see where I'm going with this, is that depending on what you're trying to do, you need different tools in the toolbox. So we have to ensure that our dams and levees are modernized, that roadways are up to the challenge, that rail is able to reinvest in its system. All of these things are crucially important in order to move the products that we rely upon and we require, not optional, that we require each and every day. Well, Brigham, thanks so much for joining me. We really appreciate your insights and perspective. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it.